0: Welcome to Casual Watch Talk, the podcast from the Casual Watch Reviewer YouTube channel. Join us as we talk everything watches from watch collecting, the latest horology news and interviews. If you're not already subscribed, subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Let's dive into the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 43 of Casual Watch Talk. We're back just to audio this week after, I think, a pretty successful Zoom live yeah. stream where we uh, we did the podcast both in audio format and also live on the YouTube channel, so check that out. We were kindly joined by some of our YouTube, uh, sorry, some of our Facebook subscribers, weren't we, Chris? Yeah, yeah, it was
1: a lot of fun, and uh, did a hell of a job putting, putting uh, edits in there. Uh, pictures etc which is which is cool adds to it so if you heard it on the podcast certainly worth it to to flip through the youtube and check it out
0: yeah it was really good in a th- big thanks to everyone that joined chris and i it was just awesome to hear about all the 30-day watch challenges and we've definitely got some ideas for the next uh one i know i've certainly got a two or three that i would like to like to see and have some collaboration on nice well as always, we love to kick it off with watch obsessions. I think this week we've got a couple of new stories and then we're going to do for the main part of the show something which I find fascinating and I think it's one of the most talked about subjects on most watch forums, I think, which is watch loom. So we're going to kind of go through a bit of the history and then talk about modern photoluminescence loom so stick around for that and you'll get to hear our views on it but chris as always i throw the gauntlet to you for Uh, watch obsession
1: not too much of a watch obsession this week i i feel like the uh the facebook meetup sort of took it out of me so i was uh i was reassessing we talked about sort of reassessing the collection and, and things like that but as but as far as uh um yeah, no, no no big obsession this week. I've been switching back and forth. Uh certainly grabbed uh grabbed a couple of watches. I uh, actually threw the uh Zin one oh three slash Bell and Ross chronograph on to leather because it has been a little cooler here. I don't know if you experienced that across the way. Um down in the the below the seventies, uh, you know, low mid to low seventies, which is cool for us here in Southern California. And so it was nice to get the watch on the leather it was the, the official like the mark of uh fall, <laughs> the and and heading into winter is when I like to uh switch over to leather straps and if I'm sweating at all, I can't I just can't do it. So that was the big that was my big uh obsession this week. But uh other than keeping track of your Walbrook, which is cool, kind of a extended obsession where we where we timed that out. Seems like that's running well.
0: Yeah, it's doing really well. Yeah, we changed the movement, too. And we were a bit unsure, weren't we? Because it was a Chinese clone of a mm-hmm. Miyota movement, which is a clone of an ETA movement. Right, yeah.
1: It's like a copy of a copy of a copy. And a little hit or miss, but, uh, but we bought it from we bought it from a reputable place. And it yeah. to, I put it right on the... Before I even did anything with it, I put it on the time grapher, and it was like two seconds. Um, and and uh, doing pretty good in a couple of positions, so really
0: cool i had a crazy first week with it maybe like a, a new puppy or something but once it's settled down <laughs> yeah getting some really good results in oh, it good. it's That's... um sort of variance of between one and two seconds a day so hopefully that lasts but yeah i guess my watch obsession has been oh god it, i don't know what's going on but i think as i near my milestone birthday which is coming up in two weeks i the originally wasn't i know <laughs> Uh, originally i wasn't going to buy a watch for it then i got into a panic of should i buy a watch for it and then my wife basically she said to me you can have any watch you like within reason obviously okay okay but you have to keep it and ah. you know what i'm like chris like oh god I, as I, soon I, yeah. I, yeah as soon as i met my wife within a couple of weeks i knew i was gonna marry her like Mm -hmm. i have not no commitment issues except for when it comes to watches (laughs) (laughs) could i commit to a one watch for forever to be handed down generations and then i just don't know then i just don't know so do i get something like do i go big and get maybe like a rolex even though i mean
1: if yeah i feel like i feel like that's i mean that's grail grail territory right you know like you just are you just gonna get the the grail watch you're just gonna get the watch and like what it, and what is the current grail watch
0: <laughs> exactly what right. is it like what the so the rolex is there's none that i love except for the date just 41 with mm-hmm. the gray dial and and the smooth the non-fluted bezel but mm-hmm. they're like eight grand and mm-hmm I don't, I don't know. I'm struggling. I, I thought about Christopher Ward. I thought about even that Frederick Constant, the High Life one. I think I shared with you. Mm-hmm. So I'm in like a bit of an irrational panic. Even though I actually like all my watches that I've got now, <laughs> I love that Breitling, right. this Walbrook. I'm actually thinking of getting rid of some of my watches, but I'm on this panicky mess of, Shh, do I need something for my fortieth, and yeah. what should it be? I looked at the Breitling Super Ocean, and then there's this whole thing of like. Then I have to like it enough that I would keep it forever. You keep it forever.
1: I think it's that—that's the stress that's really that's really pushing the yeah. That's that's kind of killing the, the the buzz on that because you're like, oh, uh, you know, if you if you are just free to get anything, but then you're like, ah, oh, but I got to keep it because it's my fortieth. You know. Like, yeah. You well, this is the thing.
0: It. I don't love a Rolex date just. But I'm trying to like predict future Sam. When you know I'm <laughs> right. sat on
1: right, what is what does fifty three year old Sam say? Let's go, exactly. let's go to the future. You're like, wow, it's a good thing I kept that date. I was like, geez those things are twelve twelve thousand dollars now or whatever. Exactly, you know, <laughs> e-
0: exactly. Because what five years ago, when or or maybe five years ago, when most things were in ready supply from Rolex, right? And you would have looked at a submariner and gone, oh, wow, got five grands a bit. I know, a right? And, yeah. na- and now, if you could go back in time, you would have bought four. <laughs> I know. I,
1: I I two years ago, I looked at the. um seiko uh the grand seiko diver
0: and i tried it on
1: i tried it on it was it was a little it's just a little too big i just i just kind of couldn't go for it but you know i really really liked it really really liked it but there was just just something about it and 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 definitely possibly it was the price and i'm like you know and the dealer was like you know i could probably do I could probably do 4800. And now I'm looking at I'm like you idiot. <laughs> you know, to pick up a Grand sego diver for, you know, from an AD brand new for I like $4800. dollars you're like, "Ah, oh, what am I doing? <laughs> what did I, I, I know, do?" It would have been a bar- it would have been a
0: bargain <laughs> wouldn't it look. Yeah. And I even looked at zin your favorite. Yeah. Um Yeah. So anyway, so that's that's uh, any suggestions, head on over to the I don't Facebook, know. guys yeah, if I you can so. help me. Yeah. yeah. Some sweet relief from this uh I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know, but yeah, I mean, I love that Breitling. I don't, I don't. I'm not lusting after a watch because I want to add one to the collection. It's more to do with this milestone birthday, and, and I know that it's funny because as in 1980 is that weird transitional year mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. most people were kind of like, "Oh, should we really do mechanical watches anymore? Right? Or should we just get on the bandwagon with quartz? Because it was, I think, the quartz crisis was fully on its fully in its swing by then. Right. Right. Um. Right. So. Uh, 'cause I even asked uh Josh Wolf, who a friend of the show who does Hamilton Restoration, whether there was any Hamiltons around that period, mm-hmm. and he was like, I don't often see them. I see like seventies you know right to late seventies where it, like yeah, we're like sloughed off and then
1: and then and then only what in the nineties or whatever when Swatch group got them going again, that you, yeah. you know really interesting, yeah, all right so I have a suggestion here's what we do uh you pick up pick up like a really fun looking Swatch like for you know 150 bucks, okay, and then and then just don't say anything and then go spend five grand on something else and be like, There's your 40, this is my year 40 watch, and just like you know, post it up on Instagram, all smiles because you'll you can keep that, you definitely keep that, no problem. Because you because it's not like you're gonna, you know, what are you gonna flip it on eBay? But yeah, I think you're right though. I, I feel like if you get yourself into something, you know, if you get your something into an OP or or a day just or something that's that's got some cash behind it if anything happens you're, gonna be, you're just going to look at that thing and be like well there's seven grand sitting there
0: exactly or if it or if they do go up even more in price or they get discontinued i mean yeah. i even really seriously look, i know i give Braymont a half-hearted hard time on the on the channel sometimes mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. i looked at the Braymont. you you can get them secondhand for there's ones that are a year to two years old, but okay. nine hundred less than retail. That's great. On and especially like in the UK, because I imagine most of the Bremonts that are being sold come from the UK, mm, we yeah. we have to pay a twenty percent VAT on top of that. So right. they're taking a significant hit on these. But even secondhand, I think some of these Bremonts are gorgeous that the divers i still think they're a tad too expensive mm, yeah um yeah I, but at I, least I, you know, you're
1: getting it at least if you go used then you're not you may be less worried about the the dents and scratches yes that's true um and then you gotta you know you'd, you'd get a decent deal on it so you don't have to pay the depreciation on it so then you're not looking at the de- sitting the de- depreciation sitting there <laughs> so that's a tough one sam
0: yeah, it really is. And the more I learn about Brightling, I don't know what I ever thought of Breitling originally. Whether I just mm-hmm. thought it was a bit flashy, blah blah blah, and it's kind of the the whole pilot thing that they were milking. But the more I learn about the company and how they make the watches, there's a fascinating documentary on. There's a fascinating documentary on on Netflix, but it's uh, sorry, not not Netflix on YouTube, but it's made by one of those like how it's made type TV shows. Oh, okay. So the guy like narrating it really has no idea about watches. Yeah, yeah. he's so just he keeps reading calling, them off the list. Yeah, keep, yeah, he keeps calling the dial the face. Oh, it's so annoying, and like, there's other things that, are like, <laughs> right. at right. least I've done the modicum of research right. on this. But it's actually quite good. It goes into a lot of the history. I need to do a proper uh, when I review my Brightling B1 properly, I will okay. do a little bit of history because Brightling, be cool. I think, has got one of the most fascinating histories uh, going. But yeah. anyway, right. well, let's um, let's do a couple of news stories from this week, and then we'll we'll do a quick break, and then jump into our main topic. So Sounds first good. news story. Have you seen the new in-house Oris? This movement that Oris have made, it's apparently got a five-day power reserve. 5 it's gonna be day. It's amazing, wow. isn't it? That is, and then yeah. COSC. Uh, well, it, it says it will pass COSC standards. It's like minus three to plus five seconds a day. Okay. Uh, but Scottish watches picked up something straight away from the movement and... Uh, Chris, what, did you yeah, notice it as well?
1: I, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't pick up on this,
0: but so if anyone's seen this movement it's called the caliber 400 it's a pretty looking movement it's it's not heavily decorated it looks extremely industrial and there's a lot of writing on
1: it yeah clean would be my description of it yeah
0: yeah that's a great great description but when the rotor's in a certain position and scottish watches did this on their facebook group it actually looks like the outline of their famous bear logo that they use for their charity endeavors i can see the ears the eyes and the mouth
1: yeah like the two gears the two main looks like the two main power gears are, are sort of poking out on the sides look like little ears and then the jewels yeah totally and the and then the way they sort of circularly uh, cut the uh, where the balance was that's cool
0: <laughs> yeah it does look more like a smile each time they do yeah. it. but so I'm not sure let us know on the Facebook group if you know this I was trying to do some research before but I can't I can't see what watch it's going to be in but they are yeah. offering a 10-year warranty on it so wow so uh, yeah that's a
1: five so five days hundred and twenty hours of power reserve so i i think and i'll have to do some more research in it it looks like it's uh look like it might have two barrels in it is what i think maybe i'm wrong but i um,
0: think the gears the 2e is yeah i think Uh,
1: yeah i think so but uh that like that amount like it's it's interesting to me just working you know uh, fun time modding working on watches i mean i i know the like the amount of energy that's stored in that little barrel spring <laughs> you, once you once you wind that thing 40 times uh, there's some there's some serious torque there that's ready to that's ready to pop out and uh i cannot imagine how much torque is on the gear train with a with a fully wound 120 hour barrel that's <laughs> little little metal grenade ready to go off there there's a that's that's a ton of uh energy in there it's fascinating
0: yeah it's going to be really interesting to see what watch that comes in uh next news story is bell and ross their br05 which i think it was fair got a bit of a, a bit of a trolling when it first came out because it was a little little tad like a nautilus but have you seen the new chronograph version that they've released
1: yeah i did when it uh popped into my inbox i it looks it looks pretty good i like it in the i like it in the blue um with the uh with the smaller markers one of the things i didn't uh like of the first release was the uh blue didn't have the smaller minute track markers so they, so the they only came in a, in a, the only one uh, on black. They did that, and so with the chronograph now they they sort of have the identical dial, um, and I like the I like the individual little minute track. I think it looks a little more sporty, a little more useful because I feel like if you're gonna, you know, this is a very uh, this is a very TJ comment, but like if you're gonna put if you're gonna have a chronograph, you kind of need like markers where the hands line up exactly with the markers so you can actually count the seconds and not be, you know, and and not be for show. And and Bell & Ross has has done it here with, uh, you know, looks like the seconds hand lines perfectly up with those markers and it's got a uh, constant 60 and then a 30 minute on the left-hand side, kind of opposite to how Typically it is, but
0: I didn't realise that about the second on the outside track that you said Mm -hmm. before on that on the previous watch. It reminds me we were having a really interesting conversation over on the Facebook group about the little details in a watch that can ruin it for when you buy it. And then I sort of proposed the question. I think we need to move this into a maybe maybe another group meetup where we talk about this and film it for the YouTube or I'll make a YouTube video on it is the more you learn about watches does that mean that it's very rare that you're truly happy with a watch (laughs) right (laughs) what do you think chris
1: yeah i you know definitely it can i mean you know we've talked about like checking the boxes and and it's and it's interesting how sometimes you get into this mode where you're like oh it has to have this and has to have this this and then if it doesn't have the one thing um, and, and a lot of times you, you sort of have to take a breath and like calm down about it, you know, like, okay, it doesn't have a screw down crown, but it's a hundred meter water resistance. Cause it has like mm. modern silicone seals and it's, it's, and if you splash yourself into a pool, it's not going to be a big deal. You know, this kind of thing. Uh, so it's these stats that you're kind of like, as you learn about watches, you have to like, let go of some of this stuff. But, uh, speaking, like speaking of nitpick stuff, I will say, uh, I truly feel that, uh the way Bell & Ross does their date wheel is amazing. If you're going to do a, if you're going to do an offset, make it so that the date is horizontal. And so they have a 430 date, but it's 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 uh perpendicular horizontal to the rest of the dial. So when the numbers pop in there, and they do that with all their uh their vintage line too. My my uh V2 uh GMT is is that way as well. Not that I can see that little number now that I'm getting older, but uh <laughs> but it's there. <laughs> I don't like
0: that version of your watch with that blue and gray dial is that something else? That isn't it? Yeah. I was looking at that this week.
1: Yeah. The uh, I the only for when I when I glanced at it, I was like oh that's that's you know fun color fun color I kind of wish they kept the uh, GMT orange but they but they went with the blue uh, the red on that so red and blue little little different so. But yeah, very, very different, you know, fun color variation for sure. Something that you don't typically
0: see. Last news story we've got here is uh, actually going back to Breitling. I was just uh, plugging them before, but oh, right. they've created this, uh, an app or or at least a digital passport based web service, which I think the idea of apps is, I, I can't think of another watch company that has an app where it's not like just a digital catalog, but it seems like this is actually something that looks pretty cool so they're going to each watch is going to come with a digital passport on it that's going to have all of your warranty information all of the repairs so essentially it's going to be like a digital logbook of the watch and the idea of this is not only is it going to be obviously excellent for owners but when it comes into the secondary market then you are going to be able to share this information with it and authenticate the watch as well. See whether it's stolen mm. and things like that. I think this is a great idea. They trailed mm-hmm. it and now they're actually rolling it out. Now I think it's a fantastic idea.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think this is something that uh, many Swiss watch, you know, uh, companies are not are not really haven't really uh, tackled you know, this, where the watch is reported stolen or that they have sort of a registration. I mean, I find myself sending emails about, you know, my the vintage stuff that I have, uh, all the time and just, you know, Oh, when, you know, when was it made? Is it, do you have any information on, on if it was ever serviced? Um, these sorts of things. And, you know, sometimes brands can certainly help you out, but it's a, you know, an email back and forth four or five times, this sort of thing. Um, so it's kind of nice to have, you know, in the future, a, uh, you know, a, a whole sort of a logbook yeah. of of what has uh, happened to your watch.
0: Yeah, exactly. Instead of like Omega, what so what's it? They want like a hundred and twenty dollars for a a print from the archives or whatever they call right. it, an extraction from the archives. I think right. they call it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um before we dive into our main subject here, we'll just pause for a very quick ad break. And just something that I mentioned on a podcast a couple of weeks ago if you're interested in advertising on casual watch talk with chris and i email us over at the casual at gmail.com because uh, the adverts that we put in here are designed or are inserted by our podcasting provider which we're very grateful for but obviously it would be cool if there was some like watch uh, related adverts so it's a bit more interesting for the, the listeners anyway we'll pause for a quick ad break here
1: Hey, it's Chris from the Casual Watch Talk Podcast. As our long-time listeners know, we often talk about cars here on the pod, and that's no coincidence. Like a lot of mechanical watch lovers, we're both into cars and racing. A couple years ago, I curated a collection of automotive-inspired straps and started the Campionato Club. Campionato Club watch straps celebrate the rich history of automotive liveries with their inspired colors. Available in a single-pass NATO, two-piece, and our new super-comfy Elastic NATO, check out Campionato Club on the web. That's championship in Italian, C-A-M-P-I-O n-a-t-o dot club
0: hi everyone welcome back to casual watch talk so for our main subject today we're going to be talking all about loom and we'll go into a bit of the history about luminescence on a watch and also i don't know chris i think this is probably i know there's a lot of controversial watch subjects isn't there but loom is quite a controversial subject isn't it i think yeah
1: yeah i feel i feel like it is and it and it also it sort of breaks off into yeah it's like a catalyst for other like controversial so so you know we'll talk about we'll talk about different paint colors and things like that, and just yeah. i mean you can get I feel like feel like it's the source uh source of absolutely a lot of uh a lot of controversy
0: it's funny i what spurred this off for me wanting to do this as a subject was I've just reviewed the new Phoebus. The uh, Proteus watch and their loom shot on there is amazing. They use a lot of combinations of loom, generous applications of it, mm-hmm. and they they're such an interesting company to deal with because I think they're owned by a, a a family or husband and wife, and they every watch they create they try and do their best job of it. But then they're like the most critical about their own watches. So I emailed them back and said, That's "Hey true. guys, this loom shot is." amazing that you've put on here i mean right. it's 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 stunning and they're like well yeah it's we think we can get it better it's not our best and i'm like well okay well i look forward to reviewing that <laughs> one like, if you can get it better it's like
1: green flashlight in the in the middle of the you know you know yeah it's wow, fantastic oh yeah, yeah i'm a big
0: big fan of that brand okay well let's talk a bit about maybe the history and then chris yeah. i think you can take us through to modern day so when we think of Luminescence on a watch or loom on a watch. We there's there's been several different generations of this. So originally, of course, when watches were first invented, there was obviously they were very hard to see in the dark. You had watches in airplane cockpits, uh, things like that. Other instruments that did need to be seen in, especially in wartime, in the dark, especially when you couldn't have you know Mm -hmm. lights on. So there was first of all, you had what was really known as radioluminescence mm-hmm. so what we'll mainly talk about today is we're going to talk about photoluminescence radioluminescence and mm-hmm. but we're not going to really touch on electroluminescence which is things like timex indiglo or what's on my brightling watch chris right the right, um right. it's electrical that's agitating the right the to make it luminescence so radioluminescence originally started out with, in fact, from Marie Curie, really. Mm, yes. And the discovery of radium, which is a naturally occurring material that can be mined. Mm-hmm. And then when it's mined, they notice that, hey, this thing is glowing. And <laughs> right. they, that was great discovery of the time yeah. was, wow, let's this, this stuff glows. I think it's got a half-life, 1600 years correct. or something. Yeah,
1: that's correct. Yeah. I mean, it's... It's it's fascinating because uh, Marie Curie's belongings are still radioactive, <laughs> so so like uh, there's that uh, I think it's a I don't know if it's a you know her laboratory like the doorknob in her laboratory is like still still off the charts radiation from that so and and I, I it was you know it, they started putting it in everything yeah you know because it was that solution that would glow and I think they did it before. They even really started to, to research or understand any sort of health effects. And, I, you know, I think Marie Curie knew that there was some, radio, you know, like when stuff just randomly glows, you know, like there has to be some energy being put out of this and it can't all be perfect, you know. But, you know, it was all, the cat was out of the bag. They were already putting the stuff in and they were painting it and, just, and they were using it as like a health cure in some cases. I mean, just, ugh.
0: So. Toothpaste because they believed that it this energy gave energy to your body as well. Right, right. Very famously, of course, this was then made into a solution that was then painted onto clocks and dials. It was in a thin layer, so oftentimes it had to be repainted because it, it would degrade itself. Mm-hmm. At the time it was an absolute revolution. And then soon to be found out years later, especially these these women that were in the factories painting this luminescence on, who were painting Mm. it on by hand with a paintbrush, they were giving the paintbrush to a point in their mouths, Mm -hmm. they started getting horrendously ill from it cancers throat cancers, mouth cancers. yeah yeah, mouth cancers, cancer, mouth cancers. Cancer. yeah. yeah. Uh, this is a fascinating book i believe i think they may have made into a movie as well all about the radium gills i've talked about it on the channel before i'm actually going to make a video about this subject because i think it's i think it's it's a very interesting period in time and i, I believe i was watching federico talks watches and hands his watch maintenance guy was said that when he was going through watchmaking school they would show them pictures of like x-rays of people's bones where you could almost see like a watch dial imprinted on their bone because the radiation had come through a wrist watch you know you breathe that stuff in so there's some people that won't even touch it watchmakers won't restore these radium dials because it's just so horrendous and you know another 1600 years what's it been Seven sixty 60 or 70 years since they stopped using it so yeah I mean, that's nothing
1: it's uh, you know there's a there was a story that i was uh sort of doing some research here with this and there's a story so the byproduct is radon gas of its uh degrading so i mean these watches aren't you know they're not like they're not waterproof they're, you know these old you know watches and so there's a there's a story of you know these watchmakers that have Five or six radium dials, old watches in a box in a room without ventilation, and they're like a hundred and forty times the you know the radon gas like like the legal amount of uh that that would be allowed i mean just this is radio radiation um it was interesting a couple of days ago for some reason uh I, some some story or something came up on the news and my wife had had saw something about this in in the news about you know older radioactive watches and she actually like stopped and was like hey so you're not you're not buying like really old watches like you're careful with this stuff I was like oh yeah no I'm not like I'm not getting anything and so we sort of talked about you know the years that it that it was on and I believe it you know so in the 40s up until about what the late uh, early 60s late 50s but they yeah, were still using those it. Lines. Yeah. yeah. i mean, I mean, uh if I was going to do any sort of like if you know watchmaking restoration stuff, any old watches, I mean, I know watchmakers that have a Geiger counter on the bench. Because it's just you can't like not only would you not want to like expose yourself to any of that, but like as soon as you you know uh, and we'll talk about and we'll talk about tritium here in a little bit, but like as soon as you you know open the watch up any dust or paint or anything that was maybe sealed inside that watch is now free in the air and that's again radioactive for 1600 years so
0: yeah it's amazing isn't it and i think and if anyone thinks oh this is an interesting history but how does it affect people nowadays well in fact it affects all of us if we've got jobs because this radium girls actually led to the first class action lawsuit against for four employees towards a company so a lot of like health and safety and stuff like that oh, sure, really came from yeah. that exactly yeah, yeah. Mm. their unfortunate sacrifice mm. has actually made employees being employed by a company and company versus employee health and safety regulations are better for, for all history forward from that point. But let's talk a little bit about tritium. So tritium originally was, they they had to find something that was better than right. radium. So they found tritium, which is nowhere near as radioactive. Mm-hmm. And then what they first did is, although it does have some radioactivity to it, and you need a, a an import license, don't you? It's regulated by the mm-hmm. nuclear regulation commission in Mm -hmm. the u.s Mm -hmm. correct so originally it was painted onto dials so you might see a little t in a circle on Mm -hmm. some cwc watches i believe on some of the Speedmasters. yep so you'll see this but now chris they don't paint it on do they
1: right yeah that it uh it that stopped probably in the you know early 2000s late 90s would be i'd say and Uh, For Swiss-made watches, if you see T Swiss-made T, that indicates that the material tritium is is present. So um, if you have a tritium dial painted watch, it it would say T Swiss-made T on the dial. Um, They also used Swiss T less than 25. So the uh, bracket there, the... uh, uh, swiss tea less than 25 specifically indicated that uh it 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 emits an amount of tritium that's less than 25 millicurie. now that's you know the em- emitted amount i didn't check to see how much uh like a banana like the the phosphorus in the in a banana or the you know
0: i think that's the comparison they use <laughs> right that, banana? yeah and the something particles like that so fine aren't they that they can't actually penetrate the skin although they can be breathed in which is obviously a a consent
1: yeah and then you know and then also they they did uh swiss t25 as well which would you know you would see this on on again swiss watches that were in that maximum allowable amount of tritium that they would do they would paint on the dial now i have two swiss uh excuse me t swiss made t watches they are my zin 103 slash bell and ross and my zin 144 bell and ross And it's interesting because only a few years difference. So I I sent a message to Zinn asking, you know, can you give me the manufacturer date? And they placed the 144 that has it has almost like a golden warm color. And so much like uh, radium or not much like radium, but like like radium, tritium breaks down the uh, paint that it's mixed with. And sort of gives it a little gold. Radium, I think, turns it like brown, <laughs> you know. Whereas tritium sort of has a like a golden hue, and it will it will eventually, you know, it will eventually change color. And depending on how much like exposure to UV or light that it's had, it will you know different colors will come out of it. Uh, so the one forty four uh, I have uh, probably made in nineteen ninety seven, and then my one oh three made in two thousand one. And what's interesting is is just in the three four years there um how different the application is so the older 144 it it's got the i mean just the great that vintage color loom that sort of everyone's after but in this case it is an authentic vintage color um and you you hit it with uv light and it glows for like a second it goes for like maybe a second and a half and then it's that's it's it's done it doesn't glow anymore it's you can't you know even it's been it's been over you know half-life of 12 and a half years so it's almost double that um so we look at the 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 103 the newer built in 2001 and i i don't i don't quite know if it is actually tritium because i think they either used a mixture with some luminova but it glows completely differently i mean it it has some sort of yellowing a little bit of yellowing but but nothing like the the watch um that's from 1997 so it's sort of interesting to sort of backtrack to see what's possible is is that the dial was printed and they they didn't change the printing on the dial and they just put luminova instead of instead of tritium um on there so hard to get without back and forth you know uh emails with the uh, manufacturer and, and actually finding some of the history on it it's it's hard to know uh, but that's my uh that's my experience with painted at tritium
0: yeah so you will see tritium they still use tritium now but mm-hmm. they don't paint it on do they now Not you usually. see it in gas tubes so very famously ball mm-hmm. use these little tiny gas tubes so they're like mini fluorescent tubes we have Marathon used this Chris's mm-hmm. marathon uh, Chris friend to the channel. Uh, he's uses on his marathon navigator and then mm-hmm. some of the tougher watches. So, do you want to explain that process of what yeah. those are?
1: Yeah. So the idea is, um, so tritium much less radioactive than radium, much 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 less. Um, still has you know still has some radiation, but but uh, the sapphire crystal and the case of the watch pretty much stop all of the radiation that was coming out of tritium. So only when you're working on a tritium watch where you're you know directly exposed to, and I want to say exposed, but we're talking again, 25 millicurie here. So a very small amount of radiation. Um, you know, obviously don't want to you know, touch any of the paint, et cetera. But um, so the industry decided to move to these the little vials, basically t- small glass, cylinders that are filled with a gas mixture and it's um it's tritium but it's also you know what makes tritium glow is the the phosphorescence material that that's mixed with it in a particular you know chemical um so it's not it isn't the tritium glowing itself it's it's pinging off of whatever it's mixed with and that's how they're able to make like a bunch of different colors so you've got you know greens and blues and reds and
0: yellows and oranges orange orange. yeah
1: orange as well exactly um and the industry felt that it was safer because now it's now it's encased in glass and so it's not and and also being inside the watch so it's sort of like double casement um so it you know little uh, more often you will see that
0: the trade-off with tritium is the pros are that it glows constantly it doesn't need charging under light you don't need to see it but then the disadvantages is that the tubes then restrict how design wise you can put them onto Mm -hmm. a dial don't they so ball you'll very commonly see that they have some of the numbers that are made of tritium juice, but they look almost like digital numbers, don't right, they? They're right. having they to sort of... be made out of these there's no curves or Yeah,
1: exactly. Right. i they I mean, they are I would say they are taking that uh technology to the you know, to the absolute limit. i mean they like color wise, they'll they'll have, they'll use six colors on a dial, like of, of different glow. Um and then yeah, spell out all the different numbers and it has that sort of look to it. Um so yeah, you're a little limited in what you can do, but but th- again Uh, will glow for always and will glow for 12 plus years so
0: so then we move on to what i'm sure everyone will be most familiar with which is what's known as photoluminescence so this is a process where the paint the substance that's used in the paint absorbs light and it absorbs light very quickly and then it retains the light in energy and then the energy is released typically if you've got a good application of it you might get an hour to 90 minutes it will still be visible after that time but it will be heavily faded and this chris is where we get to things like um swiss super luminova isn't it and seiko's proprietary mix that they use
1: yeah so luminova was uh, originally created in japan um and uh, during again this this uh same you know during the war needing to illuminate uh instruments in in airplanes seiko worked with the company uh nimoto and company who holds a patent for that uh phosphorescent pigment luminova i, I was actually surprised to learn that they didn't pick that up until uh, about 1993 and you didn't really start to see that on on watches until you know 93 94 Luma Bright, um, and it's in, and it's essentially a you know Seiko made distributed product of Luminova, so it's sort of their uh their patent their patented uh, uh, mixture, um and then you have Super Luminova, which is strictly Swiss and is a brand that's dictated by the Swiss. Um, so, but it does get a little confusing sometimes because they're like, oh, I've got Luminova, I've got Luma Bright, I've got Super Luminova. You're like, what are we talking about? But we're talking about photoluminescent paint in various mixtures,
0: yeah, and they're given numbers aren't they typically like c one b g w nine The advantage is that you it's a paint so you can get very artistic with how it's you can also in you can also make it into solid plastic formed elements, i think as well, so like right. rings, bezel rings, and stuff like that you can inlay it into mm-hmm. bezels, you can inlay it into bezels and then encase it in a resin or increase it in a in a sapphire and because of the nature of it you can color it which right. brings us to this what i find quite a weird sort of transition of all three of the elements and i'm going to make a video on this so i won't kind of lose the plot too much but now we have this trend where superluminova is then which will never change color it will Correct. never uh, it will never change color we we should mention that it's stable forever yeah. yeah it will never patina we now get this weird sort of crossing of paths where superluminova is then aged to look like decaying radium right which gives this peach or depending on you know you've got a joke it's like between peach and poo it's kind of the two <laughs> colors isn't it you either <laughs> yes, get like that's the a good right the, look the peachy glow oh, or right. you go all the way right to the brown section of the pantone color chart
1: yeah, exactly. And and they specifically, so they have, um so C1 is white, C3 yellow, C5's greenish yellow, C7's green, C9's a bluish green. So you usually hear like a C9 with the, and then the BGW9 is that light bluish white with about 90, per, 95% glow of C3. And so that's a very, very popular. So they have all these mixtures and then they have a mixture that is called old radium that appears to be aged vintage tritium loom. Or uh, radium loom, and uh, and glows a bright yellow,
0: yellowish green at night. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a such a weird. I'm gonna definitely have to do a YouTube video on this. And the the other thing that I find interesting with the loom as well is, it's hard to apply onto hands, isn't there? So you can have a watch that has super luminova, but it also depends on how it's been layered as well. Correct.
1: Yeah, yeah. You'll you'll find. Uh, so uh, they will put multiple layers on so think of like a powder mixture in a paint in like sort of a clear clear coat paint well you know depending on the thickness of the powder i mean you you know you sort of you want to be able to paint this on but at the same time you know in order to have a really thick you know amount of glow they might they might apply three, four, five layers of of luminous paint to the hands in order to get the glow that they're looking for um and you can certainly tell if you've ever looked at or purchased uh, aftermarket Seiko hands. They just—they just do not live up to. I mean, I can take—I can take a UV light to my little uh, extra hands box, you know, in my in my workshop box here, and I just immediately know which ones are, are OEM and, and which ones aren't, because um, they've patented that that mixture. Uh, the phosphorescent mixture and that pigment—they patented that pigment, so there's only you know one company making it for them. Or Seiko is probably making it themselves. I'm sure they're mining the sulfur and the, et cetera, the, to to make it themselves. Uh, but such a difference um, in the last probably 10, 15 years that they've been able to really you know punch that color up. So you just it gets a little bit, it gets a little bit of sunlight and poof, it, it pops right out.
0: Yeah, Seiko are so good at it. I mean, I joke in my channel about it being... Almost burns into your retina as soon as you <laughs> right. charge it, don't you? You blink right. and you got that Seiko, yeah. the the outline of the SKX009 yeah. or the Turtle or yeah. whatever. Yeah. But yeah, you're spot on, aren't you? I think when we, uh, when we were playing around with my Seiko Turtle and we put those first set of hands on, as soon as it got in the dark, you could tell that the hands were not original. And then we got very lucky the next time that they... Because they even... A slightly different glow completely throw off the dial. Exactly, uh, yeah. It, or know? like even
1: like a slight, a different color. I've seen that too, where like, not vintage but like, you know, older 90s 2000 watches, where you'll look at the hour hand versus the minute hand, and you'll just know. You're like, oh, the minute hand was replaced. And they're like, how do you know that? And you're like, well, look at it under UV light. It just it just looks like a different color. They just didn't match the color, you know. Uh, those sorts of things. Um, we should also talk about sort of the having loom on a watch and and how it really changed uh diving you know as a as a a possibility and then sort of the folks that are like does it really matter you know
0: yeah it's amazing that's one thing that uh, when i first ever got into watch when i first ever got into watches you go through this inevitable stage of like well you know loom is is it really necessary? Because if you'd had to see a watch in the dark, then hands down the electroluminescence is, right. you know, bat- bang button. out. Right. <laughs> and I Impressive didn't button. realize this whole concept of actually when you're diving with it, the UV reflected through the sea actually mm-hmm. gl- makes the watch glow it, mm-hmm. it, it, or or more visible.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then being able to sort of pick that out. So dive watch has really benefited from Luminova. Um, uh, you know, but I, but I definitely feel that the industry may, maybe went, maybe went a little, you know, maybe went for looming everything, you know, d- you know, should, should loom be showing up on, uh, any sort of dress watch? Probably not. Um, does it matter? You know, does it doesn't really matter. No. And then the thought of, well, you know, after being in the dark for 10 hours, you know, are you, are you really going to be able to see it? And like, you're really going to be able to tell what time it is, you know, and the only for me, the only time uh, I ever use it is like camping. Yeah. Was it like if I'm in a if I'm curled up in a sleeping bag and it is the middle of the night, I'm not turning a light on because I don't want to wake everybody in the place up. <laughs> so I just, just kind of press my eyeball to the <laughs> to the watch. And you're like, oh, OK, um, you know, and you're like, oh, all right, I know what time it is now. It's, you know, four o'clock in the morning or whatever.
0: Yeah it's funny it's funny isn't it like my um my little Breitling B1 has um both Luminova over on it super luminova over on it and electroluminescence so right. you can press right. the thing but it also the they they've gone to the trouble of looming the, the the hands as well and the and the dial but um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's a super interesting subject. I know that perhaps uh, listening to us talk about it isn't as effective as if, as if we were doing a video version of this. But it's certainly a subject that I think gets brought up in the most. And you have to put it in every watch review. If I miss a, if I miss a watch review and right. don't have a loom shot in there, yeah. then yeah. rightly I'm called out on it. It's right. something that's a big buying factor for people.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so. I you know, yeah, for for me I I I think it looks cool. I mean, it's a cool technology, but as far as like practicality, you know, yeah. I would I'm not I'm not diving with it, so I don't need to see it underwater, and then I'm not only occasionally a super in the middle of the night when I look. I do not typically wear my watch when I sleep. So, again, just for camping and stuff, I would, you know, it would be a benefit, but
0: uh It's an interesting trend, isn't it? Yeah, I think you've got to be careful as well if you're going to inlay the lumen over into a into a bezel you see a lot mm-hmm. of people that either encase the bezel they they put the loom on and then encase the bezel it in like a sapphire or a resin or something right. like that you've got to have a good application of it yeah. if you can paint it straight in there
1: i had a uh, 12 hour uh, ceramic bezel that was that had was loomed they had a sort of a caveat where they where they you know uh a scent with it that was like hey so just to let you know like if you use like heavy duty soap you could literally just wipe away you just wash away the luminous coating on this so you got to be careful like of like how because we just like it's we we coated it with like a single layer of lacquer or whatever and so eventually that'll start to fade Going kind of going all the way back to what we sort of start, started talking about in the beginning, where it's like a showstopper. I feel like sometimes people give the the loom, you know, maybe maybe too much of a of a bit of a part of a watch, like it's too important.
0: I I would agree with you a little bit there, yeah.
1: You know, where they're just like, oh well, you know, oh well, I love the I love the sapphire and the domed, and it's screw down crown and it's got the stats and it's got this, you know, movement and it's fantastic. oh, but, but they didn't, you know, they didn't loom this part of it or they had this weird, you know, and I guess for, you know, if, if for some folks that are, that need it, require it, um, you know, we were certainly talking about like TJ in the cockpit, you know. Uh, if the if the if the
0: lights go on the cockpit, you need you need to be able to see them. You need to be able yeah. to look down,
1: start your chronograph, and know how much time has happened. <laughs>
0: so oh, exactly, and that's why he was he was loving his uh the the nav the navigator the marathon navigator because of that tritium. Right, uh, exactly. And a lot of military watches you see, or at least ones that would design uh, designed for a military purpose, have used tritium, yeah. don't they? Yeah,
1: exactly. I I I think that. Yeah, for me, I mean, for me, definitely, it's a, it's a nice to have, but it's not a game changer. Like, it's not a, it doesn't break the watch if it, if it doesn't have a, a app. You know, I think uh, my old uh, Hamilton khaki. I think sometimes people get sort of upset that the loom is not, as you know, there isn't, there's hardly any loom on the, mm-hmm. on that watch. But again, it's a field watch, and at four o'clock in the morning, if you you know look at it and you're you know it's completely pitch dark you can tell what time it is and that's fine you're not going to dive with that watch it's going to be fine
0: (laughs) yeah if it was so crucial to a function of your life that you had to see it in the dark then you would just buy a g-shock i guess right yeah exactly right the flipping response to it yeah yeah awesome well that's been a really fascinating subject so guys let us know what you think over on the facebook group we're building up quite a cool little community there as always we really appreciate you listening and we'll see you next time on casual watch talk Thanks, guys. Bye.